Yet more evidence this week that China is up to all kinds of treachery in our country. Uh, We are a target of influence. Our citizens, our politicians, our institutions, our media, you name it. The Chinese government is trying to influence and manipulate. And even though it's widely accepted that China is carrying out these actions in Canada, many of these campaigns go virtually unnoticed, definitely without any response. Um, Now, this week, a special House of Commons Committee on Canada-China Relations received a report from Alliance Canada-Hong Kong, which is a group representing various pro-democracy groups. And that report um, details a lot of things that we've already known about and already talked about. Uh, Joining us now to discuss the report and and China's influence in our country in general is Colin Robertson. Uh, Colin is the vice president and uh, fellow at Canadian Global Affairs Institute and a former Canadian diplomat who served in China. Uh, Colin, thanks for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Good to be with you, Shay. Now, this report that we're talking about from Alliance Canada Hong Kong, it, it details a lot of things, things that we've known about, right? Things we've talked about in this country before. Yeah, for over a decade. You may remember our then uh, CSIS uh, director, Dick Fadden, spoke about this, oh, I say it over a decade ago, and since then the uh, House of Commons Committee on Security and Intelligence has reported on activities by China, Russia, and other countries. Canada is particularly susceptible to this kind of intrigue because we are a, an immigrant-receiving country. That's a good thing. I mean, that's what builds Canada. We take about 1% of our population each year in immigrants and a few refugees. And as I say, it, it builds a stronger Canada. It means that our, in our big cities like Toronto, half the population was born outside the country. But it it does, uh, of course, the, the, the ties to the homeland allow... Uh, embassies like China, they have a pretty active unit, what they call United Front activity, uh, which they run out of Vancouver uh, across the country to to try and exert influence on those who have a link to the homeland. And of course, it's easier in Canada uh, because we've got many stations in many different languages and so the, there is and we are a free and open society i mean that's a great strength of canada but it also is a vulnerability yeah it means they can easily tap into those those sources and social media as well we should mention they're very active so, social, in, media social media in a very big way we chat and things like that and of course in many ways china is more advanced in use of social media digital uh, online payment through various things than we are and so those who come from China are familiar with this and adapted, and, and so that also brings some innovation to Canada, but it also allows the Chinese authorities to use various ways to reach out to what they see as, as those from the homeland. Right. Uh, another thing that we've talked about, and uh, the Alberta government recently took some steps uh, to shut down any collaboration with anyone or any group linked to the Chinese Communist Party and Alberta universities, the four major universities in Alberta. Uh, that was cited in this report as being another way that they exert their influence is in Canadian uh, educational systems. Um, yeah, they're through the Confucius Institutes right. and various exchanges and things. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, shutting the door is the way to go. I think we're always better to engage because that's how we learn as well. These activities will still take place and it is important for us to China is soon will be the the the, the big economic power they'll pass the US simply based on population they're 1.4 billion as opposed to the US 330,000 and 330 million but they're growing and and uh, I, I think it's in in Canadian interest particularly because we have a large Chinese diaspora in Canada 
to have relationships with China, but go in with eyes wide open. And when we find uh, intrigue and treachery, I think you put it at the out, then, then we call it out and we send those responsible home. I, I, I'm not sure that we're doing that the way we should. I think that the, the, the Chinese will take full advantage until we say no. And I think that's something that we probably have not done as much as we should have uh, when we find things out. And of course, the Chinese are pretty tough in their own country about throwing out journalists and uh, practicing, as we call it, arbitrary detention, hostage-taking. Um, are, are, do we respond as we should? Probably not. In this report that was presented uh, to the Commons Committee this week, um, the ACHK does talk about some of the ways that we need to remedy this. We talk so much about it happening, we don't talk a lot about how the pushback should happen. Um, They make a number of demands on the Canadian government, saying the government needs to do a better job, uh, including um, the so-called Magnitsky legislation. Where they would punish yeah, the Chinese Magnitsky officials. legislation. Basically, if you're, we brought this in. Magnitsky named after the Russian mm-hmm. uh, dissident who was killed by Putin. Uh, that says that if you if you abuse human rights, we are going to take sanctions against the individuals rather than the country. Because we've learned with sanctions, you know, and Alberta farmers will appreciate this. We put sanctions on Russia and said we're not going to sell any more beef. The real sufferers in this were the Alberta farmers who, uh, because the Russians then just bought from Argentina and Brazil and other countries. So I think going after individuals, as the Magnitsky legislation allows us to do, and we've now applied this against Russians, people in Belarus, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, uh, and other places, uh, that this is what we should be doing. And we're we're sort of moving to do this about human rights abuses in Xinjiang and and what's taking place in, in Hong Kong. But I think we could go further. You identified the Chinese Communist Party as basically, because that is the sole party in China, as driving this. My suggestion is that there are about uh, about 150,000 Chinese students studying in Canada. Uh, We're one of the big, uh, uh, an English-speaking education is highly prized by the elite in China, and that's basically the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, Rather than sort of shut the door on engagement, I would say we target the children of senior members of the Chinese Communist Party, because these are the individuals responsible, and say, you can't study in Canada. That would take out probably about 5%, maybe 10% of those who study in Canada, but you can be sure that mothers and grandmothers would be going to husbands and, and grandfathers and saying, what are we doing? If, if The one thing, as they say, that the Chinese prize above all is a, is, a, is a good education, and they see that as coming out of uh, particularly English-speaking countries like the United States, like Canada, like Australia. And I think we should do this in in concert with uh, the, those those countries like the United States and Australia, because then it would have much greater impact. Right. If we simply do it on our own, that's not going to be enough. But if we did it with Britain, with the U.S., with Australia, all of whom, uh, particularly Australia, have been experiencing uh, Chinese uh, pressure, as has Canada, uh, on individuals and on our on goods we sell. That I think would have some impact. You mentioned, you know, the U.S. and Australia, and they certainly are dealing with the same sort of pressures that we are. But they seem to be more willing to push back and you know they pass legislation when we're talking specifically about the way um the chinese communist party targets business leaders and politicians in our country and exerts influence that way there are laws against that in the united states and australia why aren't we doing that that's a very good question and i think that's something that the 
parliamentary committee that's looking at China has has recommended that we strengthen our our, our, our legislation, uh, particularly around surveillance of investment by state-owned operations uh, that, that are funded by the Chinese Communist Party, essentially the Chinese state investment Canada, because they operate at an advantage. And we're not always sure that they're, they've got our interests at heart. Obviously, they've got their own interests at heart. So I, I think Mr. when Mr. Harper was prime minister, he brought in legislation which sort of tightened rules around foreign investment. And I think it's time to look at those uh, uh, the, the, those uh, obligations once more. You know, and I think the overall statement of this report and sort of the way they sum it up is um, we need to stop worrying about offending China. And we need to stop with that kind of thinking um, and realize that we might upset the Chinese government in some ways, but it's worth it. I mean, do we need to have a complete reset of the way we think about this? Because we don't, that seems to be the overriding principle, is, is don't upset the Chinese government. Yeah, I think, Shay, I think that there is a, uh, a rethink taking place, certainly amongst the, the Canadian public. The Canadian public now yeah. views China with, with uh, I, I think, with fairly clear eyes. I think some in government uh, have yet to come to that realization, but should because uh, governments are supposed to reflect, obviously, public opinion, and and I th- I, th- I think that uh, we've got to recognize that from a Chinese Communist Party perspective, they see our turning the other cheek as a form of weakness, right. and we'll simply just keep taking advantage. The Australians, the Americans, and the Brits uh, have have all come around, and, and I think our government is slowly. We're starting now to participate with. Other like-minded in, when, in, in criticism of uh, uh, and condemning Chinese actions, uh, human rights abuses in Xinjiang, what they're doing in the South China Sea, what they're doing against in Hong Kong. I think we could also uh, be greater supporters of, of, of the democracy in, in, in that part of the world, and that's Taiwan, which with whom we don't have mm-hmm. uh, a formal relationship. But it's it's a really it's a vibrant democracy, and I think we could, if we are defending democracy, and this is something the prime minister often talks about, then why aren't we doing more to support Taiwan's, for example, its membership in things like the International Civil Aviation Organization, the World Health Organization? You know, because gosh, we could learn a lot from how they they were the first to sort of realize what was going on in terms of this pandemic, and have had a pretty good record of, of how they managed uh, the the pandemic. Uh, that we we could learn from them. So why aren't we doing a bit more yeah and like you say this is not new we've been talking about this for over 10 years it's high time to act yeah i think that's right and i again i'm I'm encouraged when i see the parliamentary committee remember this represents all parties uh and their first report which was included liberal members was quite critical of, of 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 the government action and encouraging the action to do more and so i think that the spotlight is on public opinion has certainly shifted in the West, not just the English-speaking world, but also within Europe, they they pulled back on the investment treaty that they had negotiated with the Chinese. And I think uh, China is certainly going to be on the table for discussion at the upcoming G7 meeting uh, in uh, Corpus Bay in, in, in Britain and at the NATO meeting the next week. And uh, uh, so I, I think that they're, they're, we're starting to see more collective action by Western countries, which should include Canada, to uh, to basically say to the Chinese, as you put it, enough is enough, mm-hmm. and if you if you continue, we're going to take uh, punitive action. Well, we'll see how it goes. It's encouraging that at least something seems to be happening in that direction. Colin, thank you for your time.
Okay, thanks, Shay. Appreciate it very much. That is Colin Robertson, who is Vice President and Fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and a former Canadian diplomat who actually uh, served in China.